Welcome to the New England Baseball Journal podcast presented by Firecracker Sports. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. Our guest today was the general manager of the Red Sox who drafted Nomar Garciaparra, traded for Pedro Martinez, and signed Manny Ramirez. No, it's not Theo Epstein. Our guest is Dan Duquette. I can't wait to interview Dan, a two-time Major League Baseball Executive of the Year. He is credited for being the architect of those great Montreal Expos teams in the early 90s with Vladimir Guerrero and Larry Walker. He then served as GM of the Red Sox from 1994 to 2002. He last served as a Major League Baseball GM with the Baltimore Orioles from 2012 to 2018. We'll ask him what it was like to court Manny Ramirez as a free agent, how he ended up trading for Pedro Martinez twice, and how his Dan Duquette Sports Academy can benefit youth athletes. Before we get to Dan Duquette, let's talk about some of the content we have available on the New England Baseball Journal platform. Some of the top incoming high school and prep seniors in New England recently returned from the Area Code Games. We have scouting reports on all seven New England players that competed at the University of San Diego. You can find out how the Northeast regional teams perform by going to BaseballJournal.com. We also have photo galleries and breakdowns of the top prospects from the Cape League. If you are a fan of the NECBL or Futures League, we've got that covered too. Click on the subscribe tab at BaseballJournal.com to get the print edition mailed to your home or office. We're currently working on our fall preview for college programs as well as high school and prep programs in each of the six New England states. Thanks again for listening, and now here's Dan Duquette. Hey, Dan, thanks for being on the pod. Yeah, my pleasure, Dan. How are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, Well, when I was getting ready for this interview, I was looking through your list of accomplishments in baseball. I knew, um, obviously, you've been a GM uh, a few different times, that you've been the architect for some loaded big league teams. I saw that you're still uh, in your early 60s, and I guess my biggest takeaway is that I'm surprised that you're still not working in uh, Major League Baseball as a GM or a consultant. Is that something that you have um, on your wish list, or, or do you think you're done in Major League Baseball? Yeah, well, I, actually, I am working as a consultant. I've got a couple of teams that I work with. Oh, nice. And then I'm doing a couple of projects currently for uh, Major League Baseball. Um, so, uh, you know, the, I don't publicize it, but I hope to get another opportunity. Uh, at, at some point, I, I have a young family. We have a seven-year-old boy, a 13-year-old boy, and two girls, uh, 16 and, uh, well, 20. I guess Kylie's, Kylie's in college now. And then the, uh, you know, the first group, the older kids, they're, uh, they're all out on their own. But, you know, it, it takes a little bit to support the family. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and the GM lifestyle is, is probably pretty crazy. Would that be the ultimate goal, to be a GM again? Well, you know, the uh, the baseball is really uh, a lifestyle choice, you know, for, for the family. And I, I have to tell you, uh, you know, when I was the GM of the Expos and the Red Sox, uh, my kids absolutely loved it. They loved the routine of going to spring training. They like going to the ballpark. We, we used to go to the ballpark every Sunday. And then when we got to Baltimore, it was the same it was the same gig, you know, Brody got to go in the clubhouse and he had Jim Palmer teach him how to pitch, how to, how to do a pitch and delivery. And then he had Adam Jones giving him bubble gum every day. He was in the clubhouse. So it's like, uh, you know, the, the kids absolutely loved it, but you know, you got to be in it 24 seven. And uh, I had some downtime between 
Boston and Baltimore, where I had a chance to reflect on some things of uh, my time as a GM, uh, perhaps some things that I could have done a little bit better, which I really enjoyed. And so when, when I got another opportunity in Baltimore, I was ready to uh, go back to work and help the team. And, you know, we turned the team around there the first year and, and, and that, that was pretty exciting. I've, I've been able to turn the teams around that I took over at each of the stops. And uh, that, that seems to be my niche. Yeah. Yeah. I want to go through those experiences, but first I want to go way back because we've had uh, college coaches and MLB draft prospects on the podcast in the past, and they all, all seem to follow a pretty similar path where, you know, they're the best players at the little league level. And then they're the best players in high school and college. And, you know, they end up being pros, but, um, what was it? What, what is the, what was your path to becoming a GM? And when did you start to get a sense that that's something that you wanted? Well, you know, that's interesting. I, I played baseball and football growing up in Dalton, Mass. And uh, my brother and I, we played on the same uh, Pop Warner football team. We played on the same Little League team. And, uh, you know, we love baseball and we love to play ball, uh, you know, during the summertime. We'd walk to the park and we'd play uh, tennis ball with a wooden baseball bat. And, uh, you know, we, we'd play wiffle ball up in the back lot. In fact, uh, one of the teams had to be the Red Sox. That'd be the Red Sox of 67. And one of the uh, players, either he or I, would have to imitate all the Red Sox hitters, you know, Carl Yastrzemski. Um, of course, everybody had Yaz's swing down because that, that was the year he was so good. And then, of course, the Oriole players, uh, we had to imitate them because uh, Mark Belanger was from Pittsfield, the shortstop for the Orioles. And we had to imitate uh, Boog Powell, and uh, Frank and Brooks Robinson. So, I mean, we, we, we grew up uh, emulating the players on those two teams uh, playing wiffle ball in the backyard. And then um, I played uh, baseball and football in high school um, and, and did well. And I got an opportunity to go to college and, and play ball. And I, I did much better in football than I did in baseball, but um uh, you know, I, I loved baseball. I, I took my love for baseball along with my brother, and we started up an amateur semi-pro team after my freshman year at Amherst because we weren't going to go to the Cape Cod League. Uh, we, we weren't of that echelon. My brother played for uh, uh, Central Connecticut, and, um, of course, I was at Amherst. Those were Division three schools. And while we had some good pitchers at Amherst while I was there, um, my, you know, my niche really wasn't as a, as a pro ball player, but my brother and I, we started up the Dalton Collegians and with the Collegians, I got experience in uh, cleaning up the field, maintaining the field, recruiting the manager, recruiting the players, um, fundraising, uh, getting sponsors throughout the community, working with the community for, for a facility. So, I got a lot of the experience volunteering with the Dalton Collegians. Oh, after the game, I used to turn in the stories to the Berkshire Eagle. Um, so I was, I was the press guy. I was the groundskeeper. I was the general manager who picked the manager. But, you know, what I really liked was playing. And uh, my brother and I, we got a chance to play, and we toured throughout New England and New York. Um, you know, later on, that team would tour around the country. They'd go down and play Johnny's in Baltimore. They went out to play the Chicago Land Orioles um, when uh, my friend Rick Murphy was on the team. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, after that, I got I I I I'm going to tell you one quick story. 
when I was in high school, I was a catcher. And I went to a tryout camp for the Major League Scouting Bureau. And the great scout for the Major League Scouting Bureau, Lenny Murillo, you've, you've heard that name, right? Sure, yeah. His, his, uh, Matt Murillo is his grandson, I think, right? And uh, Matt, Matt worked for me with the Orioles, uh, play, played with the White Sox, and he was a catcher. But Lenny Murillo was, gave me some career counseling advice early on in my career. Uh, ran the 60-yard dash. And I ran like uh, seven four, so my speed wasn't the best. And then I threw to second, and my time to second was like two point two, so that wasn't up to average. And I went to Mr. Murillo. I said, Mr. Murillo, how, how are my uh, how are my tools? He goes, Well, uh, you didn't measure up on the running, and you didn't measure up on the throwing, and you know those are the tools you need to play baseball. <laughs> And uh, he said, well, you know, uh, you might have some other talents. So uh, fast forward, we go to, uh, I go to Amherst College and uh, Lenny Murillo, of course, is scouting the Amherst players. And we had some good pitchers on the Amherst team. We had Billy Swiacki, who pitched in the Cape, went on to pitch for the Dodgers, got his highest AAA, didn't quite get to the big leagues, but he got on their roster and pitched a AAA. And then we had John Cerruti, a left-hander from Christian Brothers Academy in Albany, New York. And he got followed by the scouts, drafted in the first round by the Toronto Blue Jays. And then we had Rich Thompson, a, another pitcher on our team, who ended up pitching in the big leagues with the uh, Cleveland Indians. And Richie also pitched for me in Montreal. But Mr. Uh, Mr. Marullo was out scouting these guys. And I, I ran into him, of course, when he came to see us play. And I said, hey, hey, Lenny, um, how's it going? He goes, Hey, yeah, yeah. You're the Duquette kid from the Berkshires. I said, yeah. He goes, uh, I said, you got any advice? He said, yeah. He said, why don't you call up uh, Harry Dalton, the general manager of the Brewers? He's a Western mass guy. And why don't you see if he's got uh, any spots for you to uh, get going, get going in major league baseball. So, so that's what I did. And uh, Harry gave me an opportunity, but Lenny Murillo gave me some early career counseling, you know, Hey, dude, you, you don't have the tools to play. You ought to, you ought to look for your talents elsewhere. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, so then what did you end up doing for the Brewers? What, how did you get your start? Uh, well, H Harry, um, Harry was from West Springfield, Mass., and he was a 1950 graduate of Amherst College. And Bill Thurston, the coach at Amherst, knew Harry. Uh, but the guy that really had a relationship with him was Jim Ostendorf, the football coach. And I had played uh, – for Jim and uh, I was the defensive quarterback. I called the signals uh, my senior year, and I, I spent a lot of time with Coach Austin Dart. And he knew Harry from uh, Baltimore. Uh, Jim knew George Young, the general manager of the New York Football Giants, and he knew Harry from his time around Baltimore. So he called up Harry and uh, recommended me for the Brewers. And then uh, Harry invited me to Yankee Stadium and he interviewed me in the dugout at Yankee Stadium on a Sunday afternoon in 1980, my senior year. Huh. And the um, the Brewers were playing the Yanks. And uh, I walked down onto the field and uh, he said, Danny, I'm, I'm not ready to talk to you yet. He goes, why don't you go up around the batting cage? So I went around, up around the batting cage and, and Pinella and uh, Reggie Jackson were taking batting practice. And, and that was a big thrill for me. And Pinella looks at me like, hey, dude, what are you doing here? <laughs> yeah. uh, 
So a couple of minutes later, I walked back and uh, I talked to Harry and, you know, Harry offered me a job, which of course I accepted. I went to work there on July 1st. I was an assistant in the uh, scouting operation. Harry had just gotten there from California and he was there to, uh, you know, build the Brewers into a championship team, which he did, uh, but he was just getting started. And Harry brought a lot of the guys with him that built those great Baltimore teams of the 60s. Like, they, they call them the Dalton gang. So Harry had uh, Walter Yaus, great scout in Baltimore. Uh, Ray Scarborough was pro scout. Ray Poit event. Uh, and, and Walter Shannon, who was a lieutenant for Branch Rickey in St. Louis before the uh, team came to Baltimore. So th- that was the Dalton gang. So H- Harry put me together with those guys and gave me some great training. And, uh, you know, help me get my career started. Yeah. And then from there, um, you ended up getting your first GM job in Montreal. You must have been pretty young. Were you in your early 30s when you got your first GM job? Um, well, let's, let's see. I, I, I started in 80 and uh, the Brewers won the pennant in 82. And then uh, I went, I was a scouting director for the Brewers in 84. 86 and 87. Then I went to Montreal in 87 to be the farm director. Oh, okay. So I got an opportunity to uh, lead the scouting operation with the brewers. And then uh, the Expos were building up their farm system. And that was a great opportunity for me. It was a little bit closer to home. Uh, We had some people with some health issues. So that was more convenient for me to live there. Um, So in uh, 87, 88, 89, 90, I was a farm director. And then uh, 91, I was the uh, assistant general manager for David Dombrowski. Right. And then uh, David got the call to go down and build the Florida Marlins. And when he left the Expos, uh, I got promoted and got to be the general manager. Um, Dave was a couple years older than I was, but because he did a good job, you know, and uh, he, he had trained me and we, we had a really good farm system. I got an opportunity to uh, be a GM with the, with the Expos at a young age. I, I don't, let's see, I don't remember exactly how old, old I was. I was, I was in my early thirties, I think. And um, you know, the, the Expos had a great organization and going there, you know, helped me learn the fundamentals of building a good farm system, right? And any good major league team's got to have a top class farm system. Yeah. And uh, I, I learned that in Montreal. Well, it's funny now because you think of Dave Dombrowski in his last, you know, in his more recent stops, Detroit and Boston and even, you know, Philadelphia now. And his reputation has kind of evolved into a guy who uh, is willing to kind of sacrifice uh, prospects for the short-term interest of the major league club. <laughs> it doesn't sound like that. That was true back then. Well, I want to, I want to talk about that because, you know, when you trade a prospect to help your major league club, the, the, the idea is to win at the major league level. Okay. Let, let's, let, let's not lose sight of the fact. So it, it, when David Dombrowski came to uh, Boston, uh, his his marching orders were to help us win mm-hmm. and win now. So what did he do? He, he leveraged his farm system, which was a terrific farm system. And he made the trades that he had to do to uh, win, win the whole thing. Right. And he brought in Tony La Russa, who happens to be one of the winningest managers in the history of the game to help him. 
And those guys made the decisions to probably make the strongest team in the history of the Red Sox. Um, but Dave understands the value of, the, of a prospect. But, you know, if you want to focus on the prospects and you want to talk about the minor league systems and the ranking of the minor league systems, that's all well and good. But at the end of the day, it's really about the big league team. And the fans, they, they want that big league team to win, and particularly in Boston. Okay, they're, they're very passionate. The fans are, are, are great. Uh, is, you know, as long as you're winning, you have some star players. Uh, but Dave understands the value of the farm system, but make no mistake about it. He's trying to win at the big league level, which is, which is really the uh, directive. I, I see a lot of these clubs, they say, oh, we're going to do a five-year uh, rebuilding project, and we're going to do a three-year rebuilding project, and then it fails, and then we got another rebuilding project. Well, everybody's not going to be great every year, but if you're doing your work right, you know, you, you should, you should have a competitive team in the big leagues. And um, I, I gave Dave a lot of credit for, uh, for what he did, but he, he understands the value of the farm system. He, he, he uh, uses the farm system to build his major league team or to add depth to his major league team. And, you know, there's a couple of ways you can use it. You know, when you trade a minor league player, you're just basically saying, we're going to monetize this asset right now. We're, we're, we're going to see how this asset can help our major league team. And depending on where you're at, um, you know, a, a, a lot of times you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that. But, you know, the, the, it's hard to get into a position to win, uh, especially if you're with a smaller market club. These opportunities don't come around uh, that often. Yeah. And there's risk on both sides. Those prospects don't always pan out either. Um now, when you were in Montreal, I used to love that team. That was I was a Phillies fan back then, and you, you know you had Marquise Grissom and Cliff Floyd and Rondell White and all these homegrown guys. You traded for Pedro. Um, what was it about you? You, paid, you actually traded for Pedro twice because you traded for him uh, in Boston too. What did you see uh, back then that made you think you know this guy is going to be special? We have to have him. Well, you know. Uh... Uh, Pedro has all the qualities you look for in a, in a major league player, in, in, in a major league pitcher. Uh, when I was uh, with the Expos, we trained in West Palm Beach, Florida, and we played against the Dodgers farm teams. And I was down there uh, working with one of our farm teams in the rookie league the first time I saw uh, Pedro Martinez. Okay. And I was watching and I watched this kid throw up and in on our right-handed hitters. And then I watched him go down and away with a fastball, down and away with a fastball, strike two. And then I watched him throw a breaking ball in the dirt, strike three, right? <laughs> and I said, I, I watched him. I said, who is this little kid that pitches like his hair is on fire every single pitch, right? You, you watch how much he puts into his delivery. And they said, oh, that's uh, Ramon Martinez's brother. Because Ramon was in the big leagues at the time. And so, so I, I, I noted it. And then, you know, I, I, I followed uh, Pedro. You know, fortunately, when we traded for Pedro with the Expos, I had the benefit of two uh, managers on my staff, Timmy Johnson and Kevin Kennedy. Kevin Kennedy, of course, managed in Boston. And Timmy was the bench coach here. And then Timmy went on to manage in Toronto they were working for me with the Expos and they had been in the dugout with Pedro Martinez with the with the Dodgers 
And Timmy Johnson had him in the California League. And he said, this guy's got all the qualities to be a really good starting pitcher. And then Kevin Kennedy had him in AAA. And I think he had him in AAA the year he was the minor league pitcher of the year for Baseball America. And then, of course, Felipe Lou, uh, at that time, he was our manager, and he had the benefit of seeing Pedro in winter ball. So they all knew Pedro personally. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were trying to replace uh, Dennis Martinez, El Presidente. We were trying to replace his innings uh, with the Expos. And we had identified a couple of pitchers that we thought could uh, could do that to help us. And we had to have, you know, low-salary pitchers that we could control, that could, we could get some innings out of. So we identified a couple of them. Pedro was one of them. Pedro Estacio was another. He was with the Dodgers as well. And then uh, we liked Aaron Seeley, too, at the time, uh, yeah. uh, the Red Sox pitcher. But I, I think – I think Lou Gorman wanted Grissom in that trade, um, but we we found out at the winter at, at the uh, at the meetings that uh, the Do- I always I always knew the Dodgers liked the Shields because they had told me that they they'd seen quite a bit of them in the spring, and we thought we had a viable replacement in the Shields and Mike Lansing who we picked up from the Independent Club in Miami, so uh, we ended up making that trade. But I mean I, I've I've been all around the globe. I've looked at players i've looked for pitchers and i've never seen a as complete a player that has all the qualities that you look for in a pitcher as pedro martinez and um you know i i you know if you ask me who my favorite player is of course it's pedro because he has so many great qualities i mean did you listen to him on the uh on the network yeah uh, i do of course I'm, yeah yeah i mean he, he, he he's a pitching expert he is he's yeah. he's, he's, a, he's a he's a pitching expert and he's, but he's got, he's got the personality, right? He's got the passion. He's got the panache. He's got the style. Yeah. It's so competitive, and, but he's, yeah, uh, yeah, I guess the only yeah, thing his, he, he probably didn't have from a scouting perspective is the size, you know, he's not the six, four, you know, guy you would think of as a 200 inning a, guy, a year guy. Right. And I think that's, that's why we got him in the trade from the Dodgers because they were concerned that his size wouldn't allow him to, you know, stand up to the rigors of the job of a starting pitcher. But, you know, his his uh, his pitching coach in the Dominican with the Dodgers um, said he had a heart of a lion. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that's that, that's true. But the other thing about Pedro is, you know, he, he, he likes the spotlight. Right. He, he's a he's a diva. He likes to be out there performing when everybody's watching, uh, like like he did in the World Series, like he did in the '99 All Star Game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's he's got a you know terrific stage presence, and uh, you know we, we we were fortunate to have him, uh, particularly in Boston, uh, at, at the time we had him because he had some great great years. Thanks for listening. We'll be back after this message. Firecracker Sports serves all first-time and experienced coaches that are looking for quality showcase tournaments to promote their players and teams. Firecracker Sports offers the most independently operated baseball and softball events in the Northeast region with qualified staff and college coaches to help you and your players get maximum promotion. Besides events, you can get all of your baseball and softball needs with Firecracker Sports player profiles, hotels, and even facility sales now. With Firecracker Sports, you can save time, effort, and money by getting all of your events, college resources, and customer attention in one place every season. Visit firecrackersports.com to visit the home of Showcase Baseball and Softball.
I do want to go back a little bit before you go to Boston to 94, and it's a tough year for just to remember that with the baseball strike and the Expos were top team in the NLE, six games ahead of the Braves, despite having the second lowest payroll in the entire league. You know, Pedro was on that team. You had Moises Alou, Larry Walker, all those guys. And that was kind of like the, the, the peak of that, that recent Expo success. But, you know, like how heartbreaking was it to just see all that success and then the season just ends and there's no world champion and you're, from your end? Yeah, well, that, that was tough. I think we had the lowest payroll in the National League, but I think the A's were a couple hundred thousand under us. But uh, overall, it was less than $14 million. So we, we, we had, I mean, we had some serious, serious talent. You know, uh, Larry Walker's going in the Hall of Fame this year. Absolutely, right? yeah. Our, our, our right fielder, the greatest Canadian uh, position player in history. And, um, of course, Grissom was our center fielder and Moises Alou was our left fielder. So you, you want to improve your pitching staff. You, you'd like to have an outfield of those guys. Those guys could all run like the wind. They could throw. They had excellent arms. And not only could they hit, they had power. Uh, but they, they improved the defense. They, they, they covered the ground. They, they understood their jobs. They were there to play every day. And that was, that was really one of the strengths of the team. But, you know, the, the, the 99 or 94 Expos, you know, that, that happened to be uh, one of the bigger disappointments uh, for, for everyone involved. Uh, you know, unfortunately, you had to strike. But there was no denying the great talent. Philippe Alou was a terrific manager. He knew how to get the most out of that team. And uh, we, 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 had a, we had a Pedro in the rotation. Kenny Hill uh, from Lynn Mass. I mean, I think he won 16 games. He was on his way. He was going to get some uh, consideration for the Cy Young Award that year. Um, and, you know, there's a guy from North Adams State College uh, that, that uh, we were able to trade for. Uh, but the, and of course, Pedro was in the rotation. He, he, he was emerging. Butch Henry had a great year at a lefty. Uh, so we had good balance in the rotation with Facero and Henry. Uh, we had Pedro Martinez, um, but the bullpen, how, how about that bullpen we had? We had Wetland, Johnny Wetland, who would go on and be the closer for the Yankees. And then we had Mel Rojas, Felipe's nephew. Uh, who would go on to be a closer for the Cubs. And then in middle relief, we had Jeff Shaw. Jeff Shaw had a wicked sinker, and, and he was our setup guy. And then uh, all, those, all three of those guys in the next year or two went on to save 40 games for other clubs, un, you know, unfortunately. But, you know, great talent and just a, just a big disappointment and missed opportunity. I, uh, I, I recruited Wetland to come to Boston uh, a, a couple of years later when the, there was, you know, labor issues and the owners had offered to make the players free agents after their fifth year. So I had targeted Wetland because I knew his capabilities. And I also knew his leadership capability. And I invited John to my house and uh, he came to my house and I was recruiting him. We were talking and, and I said, John, what, what, what about, he was a player rep for the Expos. I said, Johnny, what, what about the Expos? He goes, uh, he goes, all our guys, they, they didn't want to vote for the strike. He goes, our guys knew it was our time, right? It was our time to be on the main stage. And we didn't want to vote for the strike. Um, but I canvassed all the other clubs. Everybody was voting for it. And it wasn't going to matter if we voted against it. Um, 
but our guys wanted to keep going that year because they 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 they, they knew they had it. They they knew it was their time, but uh, unfortunately, they didn't get a chance to get on the big stage. Yeah, and then you go to Boston from there, which you know you're talking about the low payroll in Montreal and the loaded you know t- roster with young players. And then you end up uh, coming home to Boston. So I'm sure it was a lifelong dream, but it's a different job because of the resources and the pressure and the scrutiny, both from the fans and the media. Was that, uh, was there any culture shock coming back home and realizing what the pressure was like, or does that not affect you or bother you? Well, you know, the, the, the pressure in Boston really comes from the passion of the fans, right? And the fans were, were fed up basically of being the second best team in baseball every year. Right. And, and, and losing, losing to the Yankees. Right. Uh, you know, the BFD game, everybody remembers that, um, you know, and, and when, when John Harrington asked me to come here, uh, you know, he made it clear that the, the first thing that I needed to do was to rebuild his scouting staff. We had a scouting staff with a lot of guys that were veteran scouts but they were at the end of the line. So we had to rebuild the scouting staff and we had to restock the player development operation. And we had an outstanding international recruiting operation with the Expos. And John wanted to see us go out and be aggressive on the international market, you know, which, which, which I was familiar with. I'd done a good job with international recruiting with the, with the uh, Brewers. Uh, I signed a pitcher out of Puerto Rico, Ariel Miranda. And I got the first, everyday position player from Australia, David Nielsen, uh, with the Brewers. And, and then, you know, I mean, with the Expos, you know, we signed some great players, uh, notably, you know, Vladimir Guerrero, of course, who went to Hall of Fame, and Javier Vasquez, Jose Vidro. Uh, we signed the Cabrera brothers, um, Holbert and Orlando, the shortstop, that ended up being on that Red Sox championship team. So John wanted to beef up the uh, international recruiting, which we, which we went out and we did. We signed a bunch of players out of Korea, Japan, Mexico, uh, Venezuela, because that's what, that's what was needed. That's what was needed to compete and overtake the Yankees. Okay, we, we, we had to do a better job with our amateur scouting. We had to do a better job in international recruiting to be able to compete and overtake the Yankees. And so, so that, was, that, that took a little time to build up. Uh, but we did a pretty good job with that. And, uh, you know, we had uh, fully, um, you know, penetrated all those markets and signed some really good players. And that was really the strength of the Red Sox team that ended up, uh, you know, beating the Yankees in, in, uh, in, in 2004, right? The, the team that we left in 2002 was a terrific team. Um, you know, if you look at the number of runs they scored, the number of runs that they gave up, that, 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 that team should have won a hundred games, but they didn't 2003. They had a great opportunity, right? Uh, that, that was the AFB game for the Yankees. And then uh, of course, in 2004, they, they broke through, um, you know, what, what, what a great uh, comeback for them. Um, you know, what, what, what a great addition of uh, David Ortiz, um, and, uh, you know, but, but the pressure in Boston was really uh, one of frustration of the fans, right? You know, you guys know in New England, baseball matters. Right. Right. Uh, my, my, my uncle's uh, father, Don Bosco, he's a Catholic priest. 
And he said, uh, well, you know, the, the affinity for baseball and the Red Sox is in the mother's milk in New England. <laughs> that, that, that's how ingrained it is. Yeah. Um, but, but I mean, but you, you have to give them a lot of credit. They're interested in the team and they wanted to win. They were sick of losing to the Yankees. How many times the Red Sox lose to the Yankees either in the division or in the playoffs and the Yankees went on and won the world series. Well, since 2004, that's been reversed, right? Right. That, 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 that's been reversed. You know, the, the, the Red Sox are now an established organization. They have a good player development operation. They have good recruiting. And, you know, they're, they're, they're one of the top organizations in Major League Baseball. Yeah. Not that they weren't before, but, you know, it, it's hard it's hard to, uh, you know, be the top if you haven't got the championship, if you don't, you know, if that's not on your calling card. And, you know, the Red Sox finally got there. Yeah. One of the cool things I've thought about, like, if you were able to go back in time, one of the cool things to do would be to be a, a professional, a GM in a professional sports team and say, hey, I know how these all these guys are going to, pan out over the next 10 years and go back, I'm going to make these trades or I'm going to draft these guys and, you know, all kinds of uh, websites and things do redrafts. But when you look back at your time in Boston, um, it kind of looks like what I, what I'm talking about. You did uh Heathcliff Slocum for Veritech and Derek Lowe. Those guys were huge contributors for that uh, world series team trading mm-hmm. for Pedro signing Manny and Johnny Damon and, um, and like you said, you know, the fan base, I don't, I don't feel like they feel that way about your tenure as GM, but when you look back on it, it's a, it's a pretty great run. Um, how did you feel about your tenure with the Red Sox? Well, I, I would have liked to uh, see it through to a championship. There was, there, you know, there, there, there was, uh, my, my intent was very clear, but I didn't get the opportunity to do that, but I was so happy when our guys were there and they were able to complete the job and, and, and win the championship. And we left the Red Sox, not just a championship team, but we, we, we left them a first rate farm system. Our farm system, when I got there was like 27th in production of players signed at the amateur level. And when I left, we were in the top five and they used a lot of those players to trade for Schilling, for example, you know, Casey Fossum, Jorge De La Rosa, uh, they they went in the shilling trade. They used a lot of those prospects. Um, the, the, we we sent uh, Hanley Ramirez and uh, Annabelle Sanchez. Annabelle Sanchez was still pitching. We sent them to the Marlins in in, in the Beckett trade. So not only did we leave a good uh, you know top line major league team of talented players, we we left the infrastructure of a really good farm system that gave them a foundation to, you know, continue the, uh, and complete the job and, and win the world series. So I felt good about that. I, obviously I didn't feel good about not being able to uh, finish the job uh, that I'd started, but I, that wasn't in my control. You know, once the team was sold and there was new ownership uh, you know, they decided that they would have some other people in those leadership positions. But um, you know, I, I think the players and the work that I did in Boston speaks for itself. And I think the fans, um, you know, I, I think the fans understand that um, the, the uh, you know, we, 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 we left the Red Sox, a lot of good players in the big leagues. And we left them, I think, over 50 players that they traded from the minor leagues to stock that team over the next several years. Yeah. And Theo gets so much credit for um, the obviously the Ortiz acquisition and then, um, you know, the Nomar trade seemed to kind of spark that team. Do, could you have, could you see yourself have, having traded Nomar there at that trade deadline? Because you, you drafted him, so maybe that you had more of an attachment to him. 
Yeah, I, I, that, that would have been a tough one for me to do. You know, it's interesting. Ortiz, um, we tried to trade for Ortiz with the with the Twins because, uh, you know, I, I knew that the Twins weren't particularly fond of David's defense. And uh, David Jowes had Ortiz on his winter league team in the Dominican. David was down there managing. And Ortiz got a hit when they needed a hit to win – uh, and advance in the playoffs uh, to win the playoffs, then to win the Caribbean series. So we, we, we were very familiar with Ortiz. And I, I think that, um, you know, Pedro uh, had a lot to do with Ortiz signing with the signing with the Red Sox um, because uh, he, he lobbied for David. He, he, he was aware of uh, what, what David's capability was. Um, but I got to give, I got to give, uh, I gotta give um, Theo and the Red Sox leadership, a lot of credit for, for trading Nomar. I'm not sure I could have made that trade, uh, you know, with him having been uh, our original draft pick, yeah. my first draft pick uh, with, with the Red Sox. And no, Nomar had a great career, you know, Nomar, uh, he's in elite company there, right? He's one of the two right-handed hitters to win back-to-back batting titles, you know, so he's in pretty good company there with Joe DiMaggio. So that would have been a tough one, but you know, he uh, we, we we signed we signed uh, Orlando Cabrera with the Expos. Uh, I, I I I was familiar with him because Freddie Ferreira went in there and he signed Holbert Cabrera, and we were in a dogfight to sign Holbert Cabrera. I'm not, I think those guys were from Colombia, and uh, Freddie was in a dogfight. It was shortly after Dave Dombrowski and his crew had left Montreal and. I hired Freddie to be our international recruiter. And uh, he said, uh, uh, your old scouts are trying to sign this Cabrera kid. I said, well, you like him? I said, he said, yeah. I said, we'll go in there and sign him. So Freddie goes in there and he signs Holbert Cabrera. And then he said, I, 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 I did one thing better. I said, what's that, Freddie? He goes, well, he's got a younger brother, Orlando, 15 years old. He worked out with us. And he's a better ball player than Holbert. And he goes, I told the mother I'd be back in 16 months to sign Orlando. <laughs> and so Freddie went back in there 16 months later and he signed Orlando Cabrera. And Orlando Cabrera was, you know, one of the missing pieces. Yeah. I, you know, I, 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 give, uh, I give them a lot of credit for uh, trading for Orlando Cabrera because he's one of the missing pieces on the 04 team. And then with the uh, improved defense, and the great veteran pitching that they had, of course, the Red Sox went on a run and, you know, uh, won the World Series. I was living in um, in the Boston area at the time. So I remember watching those, uh, particularly those games against the Yankees were just marathon games every night. And you, you know, you'd wake up the next morning and be like, oh, man, we're going to watch another one tonight. But I remember being down in the Fenway area when they uh, got the sweep, uh, clinched the sweep of the Cardinals. Do you remember where you were when you watched it, and how did you feel about it? Oh, I was in St. Louis. I was at the game. Oh, yeah. So I, I went to the first game at Fenway, and um, I got an opportunity for the first game at Fenway to sit with Lou Gorman in the uh, 600 Club. And we had uh, talked about our, our personal quest to bring a World Series championship to Boston, right? Right. And uh, Lou, of course, came close in 86. And uh, we had done a lot. Of, I had done a lot of the work to build the uh, 
organization for the foundation of the old four club. So that, that was interesting. And then uh, I was, I was able to go to uh, St. Louis and it was a great thrill for me to see Pedro Martinez win game three on the mound. Um, I think uh, Manny Ramirez was the MVP of the old four world series. Was he? Yeah, uh, I think he was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that I, right. I think he was, but then, you know, game four, uh, we got to see Derek Lowe, and Derek Lowe had to be one of the uh, uh, most clutch pitchers in the history of the Red Sox, right? He he won every clinching game that mattered uh, for the Red Sox, and, and we, I got a chance to see that. So uh, I, I was there, and uh, my uh, good friend Matt Haas, who was a scout with the Red Sox, his, his dad, Eddie, who was my right-hand man in Montreal and I brought him to Boston and uh, Eddie was instrumental in a lot of the acquisitions that we made. And uh, Matt Haas came up to me after the game uh, to congratulate me. And, and uh, I was out there in St. Louis. I, I celebrated with my friends because I knew that, um, you know, the crux of that team uh, had been put together when we were there in Boston. Mm. Well, we're running out of time and I haven't even gotten to Baltimore, so we'll have to have you back on, but um is there anything I know you did the uh, Duquette Sports Academy? Is there anything um, anything that you're doing now that you want to talk about or promote? Well, the the uh, we haven't done the Duquette Sports Academy in the tournaments the last couple of years uh, due to COVID. Yeah, so we're trying to figure out what to do there. Um, I, I appreciate the time. I, I did get a chance to see a lot of games in the Cape this summer, and uh, went to the uh, NECBL All Star game. So I got to tell you. Amateur baseball in New England is healthy. Uh, the people in these communities support it like like no other place. Uh, they're, they're so passionate about it, uh, adopting these players for the summertime and helping them learn their, learn their skills. I was so proud of what I saw this summer on the uh, amateur fields in New England and the NECBL and then uh, also the Cape League. And I, I'm, I'm so happy that that tradition continues. Yeah, the uh, I just real quick, the 2021 draft was just loaded from a New England perspective uh, with like 15 guys going in the first 10 rounds or, you know, maybe eight in the first five, uh, which was a record. Do you think that's the start of a trend? Like looking ahead to 2022, do you think it's going to be more of the same or was that a one-off? How do the guys look in New England for 2022? Well, that I mean, that, that was an extraordinary year. Um I think the kids in New England are getting a lot more exposure than they have before. So that's good. The programs are good. Um, a lot of the kids from New England are, uh, you know, some of them move to warmer climates. But, I, you know, I, I think the, uh, you know, the tradition, the facilities, uh, the, the people that help these young ballplayers in New England, they're, they're all there. They're all in place. And of course, the Red Sox remain the focus of, of the baseball passion for the for the fans. Right. So the great passion is there. So I, I mean, I, I I can't tell you if it's going to be as good as this year, but I, I think this year with the numbers and the quality, uh, that was an extraordinary year. Absolutely. Well, Dan, I know you got to get going, but thank you so much for taking the time. It was great ta- catching up about uh, your experiences in baseball, and hopefully, we'll be able to have you on again to ask a few more questions. Yeah, sure. Thanks a lot, Dan. Good to be with you guys. Thanks to Dan Duquette for sharing some great stories about his career in baseball. I loved hearing about his time as GM of the Red Sox and acquiring great players like Pedro Martinez and Manny Ramirez. 
He had a huge hand in that 2004 World Series team and also laid the groundwork for the 2007 championship by acquiring Josh Beckett. Before we close out the pod, a few programming notes. Rate, review, subscribe to the New England Baseball Journal podcast on your preferred platform. To keep up with all things New England baseball, visit BaseballJournal.com. We update the site with new stories daily. Click, click the subscribe tab to get the print edition mailed to your home or office. Follow us on Twitter at NE underscore baseball. We also want to hear from you. If you have recommendations for guests or questions that you'd like me to ask, send a DM on Twitter or email dguttonplan at baseballjournal.com. Thanks again for listening. The New England Baseball Journal podcast is a Siemens Media podcast. <laughs>